This morning we're looking at Acts chapter 12, the story of Peter's escape from prison. Now, the book of Acts is a fantastic narrative of stuff that happened. It's not about belief and doctrines to understand, it's an account of stuff that happened, crucial events that happened in the early days of the church. And we are in a sort of a lineal heritage of that. But understanding our roots as the people of God is really important. But really, I just want to read the story this morning and make some comments on it. We'll be finishing the series formally on things that happened in Acts next week. But actually, throughout the autumn term, we're coming back to the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that's released in the book of Acts. Just before we start reading the passage, um, just to put it in context, the early church by this point was growing. It had been scattered out of Jerusalem because of trouble and persecution. And it was breaking out particularly from being a Jewish thing out amongst the Gentiles. And I think we looked last week about Antioch. There was a base being set up there for further outreach amongst the Gentiles. A guy called Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I, was the ruler. He was the grandson of the Herod right at the beginning of the New Testament, the one who tried to kill the infant Jesus. And he was the nephew of the Herod at the ends of the Old Testament, the Herod who had... John the Baptist's head cut off. So not a nice guy to be family with, and not a particularly nice guy himself. But when it says Herod, this is the guy. The scene is about early 40s AD, and we pick it up, chapter 12, verse 1. You may follow it in your Bibles, but it is also on the screen. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, one of Jesus' early disciples, put to death with the sword. That means beheaded. When he saw that this met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. Also, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Oh, we could do with another soldier, actually. Can we have, a, can we have another soldier? Someone to join them? Where's Sam? Oh, Sam's gone back. Come on, Al. Come on, come on, come, yeah, come on, say that. Okay. Four squads of four soldiers. I think that means groups of four soldiers who took it in turns. Okay. So we've got four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Actually, a key time to arrest Peter. What better opportunity to proclaim Jesus and what he's done in salvation than 
during the Jewish feast of the Passover, all that imagery that he could preach from, but he's stuck in jail. I, I would go to sleep if I were you, Peter. You're going to be there for a while. Okay, so you can sit down. Okay, in fact, we better, okay, I think we better probably put two of the guards chained to him. Okay, and you can sleep. And we ought to have a couple of guards just making sure he can't escape. So, yeah, one sort of stand there, make, make sure he can't escape by the back route. That's it. One goes there. Two ch- just chained to him. Do you want to chain to him? By the way, guards, this does meet a bit of a sticky end for you at the end of the story, but it's all right. Okay, if you want to sit down as well, guys, give me there for a while. And one, yeah, just, just covering all exits. Okay. So Peter was locked up, chained, imprisoned. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. So the first thing I want to say here, really, is that belonging to Christ may bring opposition. A Christian, we read last week in chapter 11, it's where Antioch was the first place they were called Christians, simply means belonging to Christ, identifying with Christ. And in Luke's narrative here, he talks about those that were belonging to the church. He arrested those who belonged to the church. In New Testament thinking, if you identify with Christ, you identify with his people. It's the same thing. Belonging to Christ, being a Christian, and belonging to the church is the same thing in New Testament thinking. No Lone Ranger Christians in the New Testament. So being a Christian, belonging to Christ, may bring opposition. Let's go back slightly. Maybe... Well, why? Ultimately, as Paul says, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. As soon as we declare ourselves as belonging to Christ, we are actually inviting trouble. I'll say that again. As soon as we declare our allegiance to Christ, we're inviting trouble because there are a spiritual realm, as Paul says, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that don't like followers of Christ. Sorry, it's a bit of a sobering start this morning. But being a Christian may involve trouble. There's also worldly powers and vested interests and religious structures. Paul, Peter's arrest did please the Jews because basically he was challenging their whole world by his preaching. So opposition isn't just a spiritual thing. There were worldly vested interests, a whole religious system that was being challenged by the preaching of the gospel. And of course, as we know very well, following Christ means changing. Change to lifestyle. And that can be a bit of a challenge to people as well. Are you still awake, Peter, by the way? Good. Okay, good. You need to hear this. Um. Okay. So the gospel embodied in the people of God, the good news, does challenge these things. It challenges spiritual opposition. It challenges worldly structures, vested interests, injustice, people living out... Worldly evil lives will be challenged by followers of Christ and that may kick up a bit of a reaction. As followers of Christ, 
as members of his body, we actually must expect opposition of one sort or another at times. Maybe more intense, maybe less intense, maybe all sorts of different manifestations, but being a follower of Christ isn't necessarily an easy ride. There's blessing, there's joy, but there's hardship and struggle at times as well. So how do we respond when things get a little bit tough? Well, first thing, as we sang over and over again this morning, let's remember who we are and where we stand. Who then, sorry, what then shall we say in response to these things, says Paul in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? That came out in the worship this morning. And if our God is for us, who could ever Stand against us. Understanding who we are. If God is for you, ultimately, everything else that can stand against us is less significant, less powerful. And one of the reasons we sing those things is to encourage. That means to put courage in, to build up, to strengthen ourselves. Top tip of the day. When you face a little bit of hardship or trouble or something just not going right because stuff out there is against you, sing. Sing to your soul. It's great to command your soul to sing amongst God's people. It's even better to do it when you're out in the world. Okay? I'd love to think that the songs we sing on a Sunday morning or any other worship time are in our hearts to be sung Not amongst God's people, but when the going is hard. Is that right? Great. Okay. Remember who we are. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, or anything else? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. This isn't building ourselves up with our own strength. Through him who loves us. First response to opposition, first of all, just change your mind and remember again who you are. Number two, earnest prayer. When Peter got taken into his prison, we left the story, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And we did a little bit of that before I started speaking, just a little bit. There are brothers and sisters of ours in far harder circumstances than we generally find ourselves. And it's important that we pray for them. I honour the ministry of Open Doors to opening our eyes to our brothers and sisters who face significant opposition, that we might pray for them. So that's why we did that. But actually it's important. So earnest prayer by the church... And actually, if you look in Acts, they did that quite a lot. Whenever trouble came along, they tended to pray. Either they prayed for release, setting free, rescue, or they just prayed for more boldness. Okay? When they were threatened in chapter 4, the church got together and prayed, Now, Lord, consider these threats and save us. No, consider these threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So praying 
for those in trouble, and ourselves included, can be asking God to make us more bold rather than just to keep us safe or rescue us. Both are important. Do you know, I think one of the things I kind of missed all along um, about the Holy Spirit being outpoured, we talk about being filled or baptised with the Holy Spirit, and one of the signs of that is we might speak in tongues or have a prophetic word or pray for people and they might receive healing, all sorts of things like that. One of the things we miss from the book of Acts is one of the obvious manifestations of the Holy Spirit on people's lives where they were incredibly bold in the face of opposition. I'd like to see a bit more of that, and we're going to pray a bit later for that. Is that okay? Good. Okay. Earnest prayer, empowered by the Spirit to be bold. Okay. Stephen, facing his own certain death, was full of the Holy Spirit. So full of the Holy Spirit, it literally shone out of him. That's Stephen, the, the guy who was martyred, not you. You're, you're Peter. Okay. And actually, if we recognise and understand that primarily the battle is against spiritual forces, it does alter our perspective of the bearers of trouble. Many of us have had unkind words spoken against us because people know that we're followers of Jesus. Many of us have had unfair dealings, people being harsh to us or being unjust to us or whatever. It's all fairly trivial stuff, really, compared to being in chains. But because we follow Christ, and the temptation is, ah, I'll get them back. I'll be nasty back again. Well, what good is that? Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Probably give them a shock, but it does disarm very often. Seek to bless the bringers of trouble. Seek to bless the bringers of trouble. Bless those who persecute, Paul says. Bless and do not curse. He was in a very good position to know exactly what that meant, having been in jail, lashed and all the rest of it. And yet he's still able to write to Romans, bless those who persecute you. Don't repay Anyone evil for evil, don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Actually, I just did sense this morning, there's someone this morning, that will just change, that will just unlock something for you. If you're experiencing hassle, I felt it was like hassle in a work situation from someone against you, seek to bless them will change the situation. Rather than being resentful or even trying to get back, seek to bless. Seek to bless will unlock the situation for you. Let's move on with the story. The night before Herod was going to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers... Bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Okay, you, you better stay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Two of you asleep, yeah, and you're standing. Okay, okay, you sleep. I don't know anyone who sleeps like that. <laughs> Obviously, such a holy man. You could sleep lying down. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. 
And a light shone in the cell. There you go. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. (laughs) And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and your sandals. (laughs) Right? And Peter did so, and then... Wrap your cloak around your back and follow me. Sorry, you could be following us. Okay, and off they went. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards. (laughs) Bye-bye. And came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Well, I think the angel opened it, actually. Um, It opened by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And a servant called Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised that Peter's voice, she overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed. <laughs> the people replied. Oh. And Rhoda said, and the people said. Oh. Uh, but Rhoda said. Oh, yes, he is. But the people replied. Oh. Actually, that's not quite what was said. Um, they said, you're out of your mind. They told her. And when she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and shouting. <laughs> and when they opened the door and saw him, they were all astonished. <laughs> Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. And described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. You can come and sit down if you like, that's another place. Right, you sit down, guys. Great. We'll come back to that in a second. Come back to the... Oh, yes, well, let's finish the story. In the morning, there was no small commotion amongst the soldiers. As to what had become of Peter... After Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. <laughs> right, uh, you can go and sit down. Thank you very much. Now, there's a good ending to this story, and it's simply this. God is able to rescue and bring freedom. Notice the light shining, by the way. Often in the New Testament, when God's presence is around, whether it's angelic or an appearance of Jesus, there's a light that shines. God is able to bring, to rescue and bring freedom. A few things to note from the story. Peter was in a situation, pretty much, that only God could set him free from. 
There are actually several miraculous things happened. The chains fell off. The guards didn't see him. The gate opened up. And it seemed so unreal to Peter, it was actually only after he was out and in the street and in the city that he realised it was actually real rather than a dream. I don't think I've ever had a vision so vivid that I think for long periods of time it's not real. But anyway, there you go. God did send an angel. He could have used other means. Other rescue stories in the Bible have angels. Other ones don't. However, I have to say, in the early church, they did have something more of an angel consciousness than perhaps we do. Just worth thinking about. Angels appear in the stories several times here. The angel came and delivered him. The people in the church thought it was his angel that was outside. As we'll see in a little bit later, an angel turns up to do something else. don't want to focus on angels, but the scripture speaks of them as ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's you and me. I don't want to focus on angels, but I don't want us either to assign them just to the New Testament either. They're ministering spirits, whether visible or not, Sent by God to serve those who will inherit salvation. I don't find it quite ironic that believers seem more ready to believe that it was an angel at the door than actually Peter. I think in today's sort of rationalist sort of Western world, we'd probably be more prepared to have any explanation of how Peter could have got out of jail rather than it being an angel. Let's just find that interesting. It does seem slightly strange that... anyway. And even more bizarrely, the church said to Rhoda, you're out of your mind for thinking it's Peter rather than an angel. It would be interesting to know which people would think you are out of your mind more for believing that something was an angel or believing it was a person. Anyway, be that as it may. It's also interesting that despite their earnest prayer, the believers apparently found it hard to believe their prayers had been answered. I'm not sure whether I find that encouraging or just a dose of reality or not, but nonetheless, that's what it says. They prayed earnestly, even this wonderful early spirit-empowered church, and found it difficult to believe that God had answered their prayers. The only encouragement I can take from that is, they're humans, and secondly, let's keep going earnestly in prayer. It's also a bit ironic that God was able to open a gate and get Peter out of a jail, but he wasn't able to get through a door to get into a church meeting, which does seem a bit strange. Um... Too big a point of that, but let's not put up doors to stop people getting into our gatherings. Whatever difficulties people may have for coming in, lack of welcome or lack of friendliness or whatever it is, let's not put up doors to stop people getting in or finding they can get in. We don't want people to come to our meetings or any other meetings so that the numbers look good. We want people to find Christ and find their place amongst his people. So let's not keep the doors shut. God is able and willing to rescue, deliver, set free, whatever word, his people. From physical bondage, from sin and its consequences, from our unwise choices, 
think the biblical word is foolishness, my word is stupidity, um, opposition, pain, circumstances that are beyond our control, limitations, the stuff of life, hindrances, opposition, bondage, whether economic, physical, emotional, whatever else, God is able to rescue his people and set them free. If you want to do a great Bible study, take a sweep right through the whole of the scripture, looking at instances of rescue, deliverance, being saved, being set free. And it comes up time and time and time again. God is always acting towards his people to do those things throughout the biblical record. It's a major theme running through the Old and the New Testament because he loves us. He's gracious and merciful and compassionate. He so loves his people and so committed to them, he saves them. Ultimately, in Christ, but time and time again, here and now. Interestingly, if you read through Luke Acts, and of course, the book of Acts was written by Luke, and in one sense, we can take Luke's gospel and the book of Acts as one long narrative in two parts, which is why Jesus appears at the beginning of Acts, to kind of link it. It's a recurring theme in Luke's writing that God rescues. Ultimately, right bang in the middle, Jesus Christ the ultimate rescue, who announces himself at the beginning of Luke's gospel by quoting that lovely passage from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me. What to do? To proclaim freedom for the prisoners. To release the oppressed. The theme of rescue and release is right through Luke. But I notice this. Right at the beginning of Luke, for example, both Mary and Zechariah sing songs that proclaim the Lord, the God who saves. This is Mary's song. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Right at the beginning of Luke. Right at the end of Acts, bookending it right at the other end of it. Paul gets rescued from a shipwreck, gets rescued from a snake. But just beforehand, he has this testimony that Jesus said to him, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to night. You see, the thing is, God loves to rescue. Fuck. Purpose. It's not just that he's merciful and doesn't like us suffering and having a hard time. He rescues us for purpose. Peter was sprung out of jail so he could get on with the mission God had called him to. The promised deliverer promised by Mary to Mary in her song at the beginning of Luke to rescue us from the hands of our enemies, to enable us to serve him. Paul gets delivered in order that he could be sent to the Gentiles. You see, God rescues because he's compassionate and loves us, but God rescues, rescues us to get us on track with the mission he's called us to. Okay, And hindrances, whatever they are, Opposition, whether it's internal or external, can easily knock us off track from the mission that God has 
God us on. Take heed. The good news in all its full holistic sense to a lost world. It's easy to get knocked off track, sidelined by difficulty. I believe God wants to set some people free this morning in all sorts of ways, but for some, it's so that you can be free to get on and enabled to do the mission that God has called you to. Interestingly, in our story, Peter pretty much walks out of the story at this point. It says he went to another place. And other than one brief reference to him in Acts 15 where he's in the Council of Jerusalem and he is involved with that, there really is no mention of him in the book of Acts because the focus of the book of Acts turns to Paul. He walks out of the story at this point pretty much. But we know from the letters that he wrote some 20 years later from the quality of those he was still doing the mission that Jesus had got him on. And probably martyred under Nero soon afterwards, still following Christ. So whilst the story doesn't tell us what he was set free to go and do, it's clear that he just got on with the mission of bringing the gospel. God sets us free and rescues us for a purpose. Finally, let's just finish off the story. Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod didn't give praise to God, God doesn't like it when people try and take his place, an angel of the Lord, is another angel, struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. So he came to a, a sticky end as well. Herod got his comeuppance for his arrogance in accepting the acclamation deserved for the Almighty, I suspect. Possibly his cruelty to the guards for getting them all bumped off. Rescue of God's people will also result in defeat of enemies. Ultimately, at the end of all things. Sometimes in the here and now. Remember that little verse that I said, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. That's his job, not ours, when faced with opposition. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The gospel wins in the end. The gospel wins bit by bit through time and ultimately triumphs in the end. And without giving a lecture on church history, because that's not my place or my competence, Time and time again, the gospel wins. The gospel wins. Opposition happens. Opposition is real. Opposition may be very hard. 
Opposition may even involve death and martyrdom. But the gospel wins. God is well able and willing to set prisoners free. To release you and me from whatever hinders us from getting on with the mission of God. He is also well able as we pray to enable us to stand and embolden us even in the midst of difficulty. For me some of the most powerful testimonies are strength in weakness. For people who have stood even while the trouble still happens. I love it when I hear stories of deliverance from opposition. But equally strong are the testimonies of those who have stood through opposition. Reality is, you can't predict when opposition is going to come, necessarily. Stuff just happens. And for us, the fight is often internal rather than external. As the evil one sows doubts in our minds. Opposition can be internal in terms of sickness or external in terms of unkind words. People making life difficult for us or whatever. God is able to rescue and God is able to enable us to stand. I'm going to ask the band to come back. We're going to sing a song which is about where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, the Holy Spirit's everywhere, but he's particularly amongst his people. The Holy Spirit is particularly manifest amongst his people. We can sing this song with confidence, believing that the Holy Spirit is here, and that there's therefore freedom here this morning. We're going to sing this song, and then there's different ways we could respond. If you simply need to be encouraged and emboldened and have more of the Holy Spirit to face this week, you can turn to someone and ask them to pray for you. That would be great. But actually, I do feel there's some particular people this morning who would be good to pray with. And when we've sung this song, I'll invite you, if you'd like to come forward, that would be great. But I do believe God's spoken to some people about being freed up from something in order to get on with the job, the task that God has given you. You're clear what the mission is, you're clear what God's given you to do, but you're just bound up from doing it for one reason or another. God wants to set some people free this morning. God wants to give boldness to people who feel intimidated. Maybe in your work situation, it's not widely known that you're a follower of Christ, and the reason for that is because you just feel intimidated or embarrassed. God wants to free you up to be more bold and fill you with this Holy Spirit. Not looking for a long counselling time. Sometimes all needed is just declare the word of God. And so when we've sung this song, if you know that you need God, if you like to speak something over you to set you free, we invite you to come forward and we'll pray for you for that to happen. And maybe the worship team carry on worshiping. But can we sing this song first and then we'll do that.